1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. Mental Health Monday is powered by Rogers Behavioral Health. Helping patients, families, and communities rise above the challenges of mental illness and addiction. More at RogersBH.org. Mental Health Monday is an informational podcast and should not be used to replace the specialized training and professional judgment of a healthcare or mental healthcare professional. Mental Health Monday can't be held responsible for the use of the information provided. Please always consult a trained mental health professional before making any decision regarding treatment of yourself or others. Self-help information and podcasts and information on the internet is useful, but it's not always a substitute for professional assistance. Unless otherwise noted, guests of Mental Health Monday are not doctors or licensed in any way. Our hope is to make a connection with you and be more open and honest about everyone's mental health. Enjoy the podcast. Hey there, I'm Riggs, and welcome to Mental Health Monday, keeping the men in mental health. Today my guest is an author. His name is Sam Eaton. Sam wrote a book called Recklessly Alive. It's basically a love letter to himself. We'll talk about his journey, the writing process, how he's dealt with his mental health, the hardest part about writing his book, self-care, social media, and the stigma that men face with mental health. Now, you might hear some buzzing in the background. That's just the sound of people who decided to do construction on the day that Sam and I were recording our podcast episode. So, how long was the process of writing this book?
0: Oh, yeah, no. Like, highly recommend writing a book. Uh, Mine was just, like, a quick seven years, you know? Like, one day I started. A quick seven years. One day I started, and then it was just, you know, a short seven years later, there she was.
1: (laughs) That's just shy of a decade, (laughs) dude. It's
0: aggressive, yeah. I don't recommend the long journey. What (laughs) what
1: what, What was the holdup? What was taking so long?
0: Um, you know, I just had a lot to grow as a writer, tons and tons yeah. of rejections, different publishers who were interested and then backed out or whatever. And it, there's just, it's just complicated, um, to get a book published, but it happened.
1: Were people reluctant to publish it because of the content? Because oh, yeah. you do open, you do open with writing your note and planning your suicide and everything. Were people reluctant to publish that type of content? Oh, absolutely.
0: I mean, well, one publisher said, nobody wants to read a book about someone they don't know. It's like, oh that's not true. And then another right. another one which wanted me to like <laughs> whitewash everything and didn't want like basically was just like wanted the shiny version. i was like, "Well, that's not real life. That doesn't help people. That probably actually makes it worse." Um yeah. so it was just this kind of and that publisher was 14 months that we worked together. So it's been like it's been a long process but I'm just so proud that it's out
1: no oh, the book is called recklessly alive you can get it uh, I got mine on Amazon now what is it what does it mean to be recklessly alive like because that's that's the title of it and that's also your handle on Instagram It's your website what is recklessly alive what does that mean it yeah. to you
0: I, I believe we're created to live a full life and enjoy our life while we're here and I think it's different for every single person. For me, what it became was I was so depressed, I was barely even functioning, and I just went through so much as a kid that I was terrified of the world. I didn't take risks. I just wanted to blend into the wall. I didn't want to stand out for anything. And so um, that led to a place where I just didn't want to be alive, and I just buried myself in things, alcohol, whatever, um, to because I didn't want to be alive. So following my suit as I attempt and surviving all of that, I just kind of sit on this quest. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give life everything I have while I'm here. Um, I've gotten another shot at this life thing and we're just going to go for it. Um, and so that's what, it's, that's what it's become.
1: You said when you were a kid, you've kind of felt this way and you felt this way your whole life. How old are you now, by the way? So mind me I'm
0: 32. I have battled suicidal thoughts since I was 14.
1: And your book starts when you were 23 i believe yeah so the, the first chapter
0: off. is kind of leading off and then i jump back um and i kind of just give little every chapter is a little story of my life and just something i learned from it um i kind of walk through some abuse things as a kid i walk through some hard things in college a breakup um, kind of everything that led to and then what it feels like to not want to be alive and then the second half of the book is all the incredible things that have happened to me since that i would have missed
1: did you ever seek out help like professional help
0: you know i saw a middle school counselor who wore plaid socks every day for like a couple nice. weeks and as that most was... middle
1: school teachers are want to do
0: right <laughs> and right. that honestly was about <laughs> it until i was 24 when i finally after the attempt it was pr- even still maybe another year after that before i was like okay, I'm going to try therapy, I'm going to try some medication, I'm going to try some other things.
1: Why do you think you were so reluctant to reach out for help? Because I think a lot of us are to kind of reach out and ask for help, especially as men because we feel like we can be strong enough, we don't need to help. Like We feel like asking for help is a sign of weakness when it's actually the opposite. So why do you feel like you... Were reluctant to ask for help
0: because nobody stood up in front of me and named what I was experiencing. Nobody said, here's what depression looks like, feels like here are the hundreds of ways we can teach you to work through that and cope with the hard things that you've been through and that you can and actually deserve to get help. Like you deserve to be your best self to live your best life and not just feel like garbage all the time. So I didn't I didn't know it had a name. I just thought it was something very wrong with me, that I was just a sad person, that bad things happened to me, that I was a mistake, that I made mistakes and not just and and not that it's called depression and that you know 1 in 6 Americans will battle it at some point in their life,
1: especially this year and last year because it's been a ride for a lot of people. <laughs> uh yeah. Your your book is about your suicide attempt and you're a survivor of suicide. So I don't know if, if it doesn't give away too much in your book. Is there anything that you would want to go back and tell 23-year-old Sam back before he was getting ready to make all these plans and write these letters up to his loved ones and picking and choosing who he was going to write to? What would you go back and tell yourself if you could?
0: I wrote the book for that person, who I was the month before when I decided I was going to do it and everything leading up. The, the book is a love letter to myself in that regard. Um, I, I would tell myself um, mostly um, that your brain is lying to you. that And I, I didn't understand that your brain can kind of become a prison and can, can morph what is actually there. You know, people who are suicidal are masters at hiding it. Um, they're masters at not telling anyone what's going on. Um, and for me, uh, I... I just want to tell him that it's okay, like that you can get help, that there's so much help, that it's a physical thing wrong with you that that you can get through.
1: It's and, and anybody can get through it as long as they recognize it. And like you said, having it put in front of them, knowing that it's actually something and giving it a label instead of, well, you're just sad all the time or, well, you're just anxious all the time. Like it actually has a name and it has so many ways to treat it, like you said there. Um, Do you still see a therapist like regularly? Is that something like a part of your self-care?
0: You know, I go in waves. So like I will do like kind of an intense year and then I will take a break. At least that's what I've done for a bit and then something kind of pops up and I'll go back. So like I have a relationship with a long-term counselor, um, but we kind of got to a good place where now it's just kind of check-ins and when things come up.
1: I wrote this as a question I don't know if you can answer though. If it doesn't spoil your book, Was there a specific moment of clarity? Because I've talked to survivors of suicide before, and each one has their own story of kind of what happened to kind of flip a switch to go, this is not the answer. This is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. What was that moment like for you?
0: Yeah, so mine was Christmas Day, and I I was actually counting backwards from 10, um, ready to do this, and like as I counted, you know, 10, nine, eight, I saw these like horrible images of my life, like abuse and other things. And seven, six, five, I saw like beautiful pictures of family and friends and things that I would leave. Finally, somewhere about three, it was just this question that has become everything that I do, but it's just, have you really given life everything you've got? Because if you have give up, that's okay. Um, but I'm not sure that you have, I'm not sure you've tried every avenue to get better. I'm not sure you've really tried to create the life that you've wanted to live. Um, again, that wasn't all verbal, it wasn't like a voice from the heavens, it was just this overall feeling of, like, hope. Um, that, you know, maybe I should try harder and fight back harder than I, than just accepting, um, the pain I was living
1: in. If you're hearing those noises in the background, Sam is having some oil oh. drilling done in his apartment. I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, it's not your fault. Oh. It's not your fault at all. I just wanted to call attention to it because people are probably hearing it going, What is going on? And what is that sound? And that's oh. fine. <laughs> what are they doing though? I don't... What are they doing?
0: I they're kinda I don't know. I have no idea.
1: <laughs> Can you go shout at them and tell them we're doing yeah, important business I know. in here?
0: I'm so sorry. <laughs>
1: What was you've kind of you said you wrote, this is kind of a love letter to yourself your book Recklessly Alive. What was the hardest part to write in this book? Cuz it took you 7 years. If you could pinpoint one part of the book, what was the hardest part to relive or to write about?
0: You know, there's there's several chapters that were and honestly one of the reasons it take took 7 years is because it's so hard to put yourself back into the worst stories of your life and to write it them. It almost
1: feel like like ripping open a, a wound yeah like well they he, actually say that
0: when you tell stories of your trauma your body physically will relive parts of that trauma um, yeah and so to yeah exactly rip open those wounds and then sit in those stories for you know a full day or two days trying to get the wording right describe the curtains or whatever you know it's like you really have to immerse yourself into these horrible horrible things that you've tried so hard to forget um But it's also really healing. I found out one of the most, and there's research for it, one of the most healing things you can do when you've been through a lot of trauma is write your story because you get to frame it how you experienced it and no one else can cloud what you've been through. So while it was really hard, it also um, was very, very healing.
1: And it's a great metaphor because I have a friend once that said, your darkest chapters don't have to be your final chapters. You're the Mm -hmm. own author of your own book. So write a new chapter Absolutely. if you're having a bad day you can start over and write a new day it's my, everybody's gonna have terrible days in life you can rewrite a new day and have a new beginning every day that's the, that's the beauty of life but we're not promised tomorrow so why not make the best of today as well so you also are you have a ministry service as well because you're a very spiritual person so you travel around talking about your suicide attempt I don't know if you have been obviously with COVID, but tell me a little bit about this like your ministry and how this works
0: yeah, so I just started an organization, and I just said, okay, I do this now. After we lost yeah. five people in my community, I'm a public school teacher. I lost, we lost three students, a teacher, and a principal all in about 18 all, months a number of years all to ago. Su- all to, suicide. to suicides. Wow. Um, and I just knew I had to do something, and I didn't know what that would look like. Um, at that point, I had told one person in, ever that I had attempted suicide. I hadn't told anyone, but I just thought, you know, I have this story. I don't know what it will look like. What it has turned into is, yes, a ton of speaking events, a lot of online content. I post um, inspirational post-it notes on Instagram every day. Um, basically, I just wake up and I'm like, how how can I help people see the hope and choose to stay? I mean, suicide is such a, it wrecks such a havoc on families and a lot of the families I've partnered with have lost someone and to just find one person who decides to stay is worth every, every minute of what we do.
1: You're so right. The, the ripple effect of suicide, not, not many people know about that, but it's the, the amount of people that it affects. My uncle died from suicide uh, in 2017 and it just shredded our family up because nobody wanted to attack it as to what really happened. Everybody wanted to say something else happened. Nobody wanted to admit that it was a suicide. And that's part of the stigma that we fight as mental health advocates. You, You are a very great mental health advocate and you openly talk about your suicide story and your journey, which I think books like yours and stories like yours help really erase that stigma and make a normal conversation of talking about suicide much like you would talk about Heart, heart disease or COVID-19 or the flu or really any any ailment that you would have. Absolutely. Um,
0: and I mean, the research shows that talking about suicide doesn't make it any more likely that someone will attempt. In fact, it makes it much more likely that they'll seek help. And when I came yeah. across that, I was no longer afraid to talk about it because you're not doing any harm to anyone by having open conversations about mental health. Um, yeah. In fact, you're like normalizing it so that you know, if someone gets there, You've already had a conversation about it, right? It doesn't have to be this thing we talk about only in the dark. Um, and we can talk about it like a sickness, like you said before. We can talk about it like an illness that it is um, and so, that, so that people aren't afraid to get
1: help sometimes people just need to talk about it they just need to open up what are some things that you do for your self-care because you've been through a lot you've been through therapy uh what do you do for you just for sam like what what's your self-care obviously you're a spiritual person but what are some other things that you do
0: um so crossfit is the best um antidepressant i've ever taken Um, exercise yes yeah lifting weights being in this community it's with people um so that is for sure number one i have to plan to rest i'm not built to just like relax in fact i feel guilty just like watching tv um so i actually one of my counselors one time had to give me an assignment you have to have one hour of guilt-free relaxation every day so i try (laughs) anyway so my (laughs) self-care just looks a little different than, than a lot of people um uh, yeah, self care is is just always a work in progress for me. And what do I need on that day? You know, sometimes it is yeah. relaxing, but sometimes it's taking care of you know lingering tasks or or making you know plans with someone. I don't feel like it. Um,
1: yeah, self self care looks different and is means something different to really everybody. Absolutely. Um, you're on Instagram, and I think you have a really big presence on Instagram. I stumbled upon you because somebody, some other website, had shared just a picture. Almost all of your posts is just you holding up a post-it note with a very brief short message sometimes it's very positive sometimes it's a quote
0: so I just wanted to be a friend to the people who needed it and I just when I thought about what I needed in my worst times it was just little notes of encouragement so I I I decided to experiment I was like I'm gonna post every day for a year to force myself to figure out like what was going to connect with people. So it took a couple months of like getting 12 likes before I kind of found my voice and found, you know, what set me apart. But more importantly, found things, something that, that can be a bright spot on, on a platform that oftentimes can just be about like, look how beautiful this is, or look how rich this person is instead can be real and honest and um, make you feel like you're not alone in the things we all face.
1: Do you have like a whole stack of these post-it notes that you write or do you do them off the cuff? Is it like, um, like ah, today I'm going to write, uh, everyone now, can benefit from counseling. Now we're, now
0: we're revealing industry secrets. Um, right. So, no, <laughs> you I, don't, have to, I, if you don't no, no, to. no, I always have um, a number of them ready, but a lot of yeah. my favorite is to just wake up and see how I'm feeling that day and write about what's happening in my real life. But life doesn't yeah. always accommodate for that. So I do plan right. some ahead of, as well.
1: And some of the ones as of late have been you holding up your book, which you're proud of, and you should be, dude. That's a seven years in work, and it's it's an amazing thing what you did writing that book. So um, are, there, are there some highs and lows of working on social media? Do you find some negative interaction with... Because you talk about some pretty blunt stuff, and it's a very uh, stigmatized topic. Do you encounter a lot of negative from what you're trying to put out? so much positivity.
0: Oh, my gosh. You have no idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it it's pretty awesome to see all how much hate I can get for just trying to help people. But I mean, the truth is that people are in so much pain and that's what I just give them, try to give them all the grace in the world. They're just in so much pain that they're just reacting to to anything that seems hopeful or helpful. And, and I've been there. So like I said, no judgment, but yes, basically every single yeah. day I get something that is, is pretty negative. You know, just, you should have killed yourself as one of my favorites, you know, cause Ugh. heaven forbid, but, um, I would say the hardest part is I just am constantly, people want to reach out and share their story to me. And I, part of my self-care has just been that I cannot engage in everyone's story in that way. And that I can yeah. you know share the helpline and pass them off to other resources. But I wish that I could. I wish I had the capacity to, like really help everyone who's suicidal, but um, it just it's too much for me.
1: I wish I could help some of the people that put out that hate because you know they're not hating it at you. It's always self-reflecting. There's something inside themselves that they're not happy with. Maybe it's your success. Maybe it's the fact that you've written a book and they haven't. Maybe it's the fact that you have the the balls to go on there and mm-hmm. show your face and show a positive message, and that person doesn't have the guts to do that. So, I always feel like that that's just my tip for dealing with haters and I
0: yeah well and depression yeah depression like there's no perfect cure like that's one of the no. hardest parts right there's not just penicillin like everyone's journey is so different and so to yeah. see someone who's like appearingly doing well when you've tried all these things and feel so stuck I can see why there would be a negative reaction to that um yeah I just you know let's get them a better outlet
1: <laughs> yeah right do you feel like as men, we have different struggles, like different unique struggles as men. I've I've always said, I gear my t- podcast towards men. I call it Mental Health. I capitalize the men, and I always say keep the men in mental health because we're the worst at talking about our feelings and opening up emotionally. We always think we can handle things on our own. We never stop and ask for directions. That's just how we are as men. Do you think there's other struggles that we have uniquely as men with our mental health?
0: Well, you know, and I... I actually disagree with that. I do not think that men are worse at opening up about their feelings. I think that they have just had so many negative negative interactions with other people when they have, that they stop. That we, like for example, seeing men cry or, I mean, um, throughout our lives, it's not that men don't want to open up, it's that when they do, they're often met with judgment, with criticism, um, and, you know, an attack on their masculinity. And so um, I absolutely think that mental health is different for men, um, because when we this is way over stereotyping, but like when we see a woman cry, at least when I see a woman cry, I just want to hug her and hold her close. And when I see right. a man, a man cry, like, you're like, I, "I don't even know what to do, right? It's like you don't know how to even press in sometimes. So I think culturally we have just miss the mark that emotion is good that emotion is not the enemy you know people every time someone stands up to give a speech like i'm so sorry i'm crying and it's like my biggest pet peeve i'm like why are you apologizing like you're crying because you're giving a wedding speech about someone that you love like can we just all be okay with that emotions are good and then can (laughs) for men can that be okay too that like can we just receive and listen and not try to fix them and just let them sit in their emotions um and, and not criticize for sharing
1: 100%. Hundred percent, I agree with that. Normalize being emotional at all costs. Happy, angry—I think the whole spectrum of emotions is should be embraced to an extent, right? Um, as long as they're controlled, not you know, not going out and acting angrily and aggressively, and you know, harming others or Absolutely. violence or anything. But it's okay to be angry sometimes. It's okay to be sad sometimes. Uh, it's, it's all okay. Do you think the the stigma around mental health, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? How do you feel? I feel it's gotten a little bit better, in my opinion. I think a lot more people are talking about it, but you have a different temperature on things. And I just wanted to know, what do you think the stigma is like around mental health?
0: I absolutely believe. I know it's gotten better since just even I was a teenager. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the studies show that 80% of teens still don't receive help for their mental health. So we're still definitely missing the mark in a number of areas. And I think for suicide prevention and in, in what I see is that we've gotten good, at least better at just, here's the suicide prevention number, call, call, call. Right. It's like, we just kind yeah. of shove this, especially anytime a celebrity happens, we just kind of shove this down people's throats, but we kind of forget that, like the suicide prevention, isn't just don't kill yourself. It's like, here, help me f- help you feel alive and help you create a life that you want to live. It's so much more than, than just that. Thought. And so, my hope for mental health is that we shift from this model of just like, okay, here's a medication, we're going to treat the symptom, like, right, we're going to get you whatever, and to this place of like helping people create a life that they love and that they're proud of. Um, and and, and that in that, you know, in their physical life, in their mental life, in their relationships, in their finances, like, all of that is part of suicide prevention and mental health too. All that plays a role. Um, so, I think absolutely we've made some progress and I hope that we continue to shift and normalize it um, so that, so that it's, just, it's just what we do you know, as a culture. We just, like everyone has mental health and everyone talks about it.
1: Everybody should, It really should. Let's normalize the crap out of it, dude. <laughs>
0: <laughs> working on it, what, I'm working on yeah. it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, what advice would you give to somebody? that that was struggling really bad right now somebody that's really down to where you were like somebody that thinks I can't write a book I don't have any Instagram followers mm-hmm. what kind of advice to give to that person that just keeps kicking themselves down
0: Well, two things immediately like our culture puts worth in the wrong things our culture puts worth in money in looks in appearances in followers popularity and like that just isn't at all what makes someone worthy of a good life and worthy of love so like first like get your head on straight there younger sam or whoever's struggling (laughs) um that that you are worthy of love no matter what you do or don't do um and then i would say do one small thing every single day that makes your life better or make the world a better place that's what i did after my attempt i did this for over five months and then i took a picture of it. it it might be you clean out a closet it might be you volunteer it might be You know, you go (laughs) jump out of an airplane, like whatever it is that like, the things you've always wanted to do, do one, force yourself to do one small thing every single day to make your life better. And then when you've got Mm -hmm. this photo album in your worst times, look at the photo album and you're gonna have hundreds of pictures of people who love you, experiences you've had, like reasons to stay alive and to and, and proof that your life is getting better. So when your brain is lying to you and saying that there's no hope, you can just, you have tangible and physical hope. It's not easy because depression, it's hard to fight. You don't feel like you want to do anything. At least that was my experience. So you do have to practice some opposite to emotion and go against what you're feeling and force yourself to do one small task each day. But I, I promise you that it will help you feel feel better and make, make your life better slowly.
1: That's like a visual gratitude journal. Is what it is, exactly. what or gratitude list. Exactly. That's what it is. The little things add up to the big things, and I like that a lot. Um, before we go I always like to ask somebody I like to ask this question of people what's the last nice thing that you did just for yourself Hmm. a lot of people they struggle to answer this question and that's why I love asking it because you should be able to answer it I feel like with right off the bat it can be something so small and it doesn't have to be buying yourself something it could have been I slept that extra five minutes you know Mm -hmm. like that's those are the kind of little things like something that you do just for yourself what was the last thing you did for you for Sam
0: So today, like, did not go at all how I planned. I was supposed to go somewhere and get a bunch of work done. Got the phone call that, oh, we might have that done by Friday at five. Mm -hmm. Um, Have a big deadline on Tuesday. And instead of, like, freaking out, literally, I just was like, okay. And then, like, it was just the greatest gift to myself. Because that's not my, normally I would have just been worked up and sad all day. But to just sit there for a couple minutes, drink my coffee, and be like, okay, I'm going to change my attitude and do do be productive somewhere else and future Sam can deal with the storm that's coming because (laughs) I can't, I can't change today. Um, and so anyway, that was a little gift to me today.
1: And that's perfect. That's a nice little thing that you did for you. Living in the present is what you did right there. Well, Sam Eaton, thank you so much for coming on the podcast for Mental Health Monday. The book is recklessly alive. It's amazing. I'm only like seven or eight pages into it, but I can't wait to finish it. And I don't finish books very often, but I can honestly say it. I'm not uh, excuse my French I'm not bullshitting you I really am enjoying it like six or seven pages in and I cannot wait to finish it I know I will so thank you very much for coming on today thank you so much my pleasure thanks again to my guest Sam Eaton you can get his book on Amazon it's called Recklessly Alive follow him at Recklessly Alive on Instagram or his website RecklesslyAlive.com I'll talk to you next week enjoy the rest of your day your afternoon your night your weekend whatever it is you you're happen to be doing and always remember make good life decisions